This is Ember. You're listening to the Ember Podcast with Roger Edwards. Well, welcome back to another edition of Ember. I'm so excited because my guest today is a, a gentleman that I, I work in the logistics field with. Uh, he is a father, a husband, a former uh, military man, uh, a man of God. Um, but I guess the the big difference between he and I is uh, Charles Milton is an African-American gentleman who comes from a totally different background than, than I do. Hey, I grew up in New York City. I grew up in the projects and uh, he has just an awesome story to tell. And we talk, um, we talk faith, we talk culture, we talk uh, the differences in our, in our background. Uh, and hopefully we, we both learned a lot from each other. I know I learned a lot from him, but uh, Charles is a great guy. I hope you really enjoy the, uh, the discussion. Charles is a storyteller and uh, we went a little long today, but that is awesome because it was, I didn't want to stop recording. And we're definitely going to bring him back. Uh, I'm hoping to do a show with him and a, uh, a couple other gentlemen and have a, have a, a kind of a roundtable discussion on uh, society and race and, and different things that are going on in our culture right now. But again, it was great to have Charles with us today, and I hope you really uh, enjoy the show. If you do, please share and like it and give us a good rating. Charles, it's so great to have you here tonight, and just uh, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm blessed that you're here. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Roger. It's a it's a pleasure and a blessing to be here. So let's let's just start off. Share uh, every guest I have. Uh, first thing I think is one of the most important things is family. Share a little bit about your family and your your background, and uh, tell us a little bit about you. Okay, well. Um I'm the oldest of eight. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You remember the show Eight is Enough? That was, <laughs> I, I used to say eight is too much, Mom. <laughs> what's, what's up with that? And uh, I, when I was a kid, I remember, um, you know, people say, well, they didn't have TV at that time. A little later on, uh, that's when cable TV first came to New York. That's where I was born and raised in New York City. I wouldn't have, I, been, I wouldn't have been able to tell it all with that accent. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was born and raised in New York City. I'm a native New Yorker. Uh, I lived I lived in Manhattan, the Lower East Side, drug capital of the world. <laughs> well, at one time it was... Um, Grew up in the projects, um, mom and dad, and um, you know it, it was it was it was a bunch of us, and you know we had a lot of love, and in, 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 you know from my mother, I should say, we had a lot of love there, and uh, she was a stay-at-home mom. I grew up with the you know coming home to donuts and cookies and homemade cookies and everything like that because she was so much into her children. She had me when uh, she was very young. She started out very young. Uh, She was about 14 going on 15 when she had me. She dropped out of school to um, to take care of her responsibility. Uh, and then after that, uh, you know, life continued on and uh, the family came together and grew and grew and grew and grew. But my mother, she's my champion. Uh, she's my hero because after raising eight children um, and we're all we're all pretty, pretty, pretty okay. Um, you know, growing up, uh, in, in the city, um, was, wasn't a a street person, you know, a street thug or anything like that, robbing and stealing. And those things were happening. Those elements were out there, but we were raised in the church. I was a church boy (laughs) coming up, you know, in, in, in that time. But, uh, after raising, um, a family of eight, um, my mother used to volunteer down that, uh, one of the nurseries uh, when my younger sisters went um, 
and volunteering then came to a little stipend work, uh, working there. And then after a while, they hired her as an assistant teacher or teacher's aide. And then uh, she continued on to uh, become an assistant teacher. Then she started going to school. She went and got her GED. And it, it took her... Uh, from there, she went and uh, to get her, um, her associate's degree. Believe it or not, it took my mother four years to get an associate's degree. Not because she wasn't smart, but because when you have all those children and you're working, you can only take one, you know, like three credits, you know, at a time. Mm -hmm. And she just inched her way from an associate's degree at Borough of Manhattan Community College. And then from there, she went to Toro College for her four-year degree. What did you think my mother majored in? Early childhood education. I said, Ma, are you serious? She you could taught the class, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's, you know, that was her claim to fame um, because I said, Mom, you, you, you raised eight children and then you go and you want to start a career working in early childhood development, but she certainly could have written a book. Uh, so from there, um, working at the same uh, Head Start program that she was working at, internship programs and things that had her going to uh, Columbia University to get credits. And um, she eventually gra uh, graduated from Truro College with her uh, bachelor's in, in early childhood education. And then from there, she sat in class, not online or anything like that, not that there's anything's wrong with that, but um, it was time for her to do her, and she went and got her master's degree from mm. New York University, NYU, um, and she became an education director at that very school that she started um, volunteering so long ago. So... Although I grew up in the in the hood, if you want to call it that, uh, like Jesse Jackson said at one time, you can grow up in the hood, but the hood don't have to grow up in you. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was that was a big part of my experience being in the environment, but the environment not being so contaminated by it that it uh, stunts my growth, uh, stunts my stunted my vision uh, beyond where I originated from and was able to to move on into other things. I was able to do what we used to call leave the block. I had some, we had some buddies that I grew up with in my uh, junior high school years. Uh, we used to call them the mailbox crew because every time you see them, they were all leaning on the mailboxes, you know, on the, on, you know, outside the project buildings and stuff like that and never left the block, lived in New York City, never went to see, never went to the Statue of Liberty, never went to Radio City Music Hall or Rockefeller Center, never went up in the World Trade Center or anything like that. But I, um, I um, went to Brooklyn Technical High School. Um, and I got a job. I, I wasn't one to play sports and everything like that because I had to learn how to earn money mm -hmm. <laughs> from a very young age, uh, packing bags in the supermarket, doing any kind of thing because my parents did not have all the money to buy me the things that I wanted, you know, the fashion of the day, the, the sneakers of the day. Back in my day, I was born in 1966, so by the time I was in uh, elementary school, um, you, you're talking the, the early 70s. Uh, by the time I'm in junior high school, you're talking the late 70s. I'm the class of 84 in high school, so you're talking the early 80s and, uh, you know, um, fashion was nothing like it is today, mm -hmm. especially the prices. A pair of, of sneakers uh, that I wanted um, at one time, I believe I was about 10 years old, uh, Pro Keds, <laughs> the one with the blue and red stripe mm -hmm. down, down the side, mm -hmm. um, it was $10. <laughs> and my mother would say, I'm not buying those expensive sneakers. <laughs> I wish I could get a pair of sneakers for $10 now. She would, she would jump on it uh, compared to what we see today. But I grew up knowing that I had to work. And I used to pack bags 
uh, in the supermarkets um, on the weekends and make about 20 to 20 to 40 dollars if I work both days Friday if I work Friday Saturday and Sunday I can make about 40 dollars you know for the weekend and my mother would make me pay five dollars you know give five dollars to the household and I said ma why do I I'm working this this is my money you said if I wanted to have some of the things that I wanted I had to work for it these are things my father had. I saw him. He had the, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the fashions of the, of the day, and I didn't have any of that. I had hand me downs, you know, because you're growing up with a large family with very mm-hmm. little money. And she said, "Well, you have to. You, your father works for those things. You would have to do that too." So when I got a job, and now you're asking me for money, uh, I have to contribute something to the household. I felt like I was being cheated <laughs> or robbed or something like that. But basically. Basically, what she was teaching me was responsibility and accountability, all of those principles that I grew up with, even in the hood. So um, it, it helped shape me. It helped make me to make better decisions of things that I wanted to do later on in life. Well, that's uh, that's awesome. Uh, I We kind of grew up in almost two different you know, you grew up in New York City. I grew up here down south in Charlotte. Before it was the city of Charlotte, it mm. was the town of Charlotte more when I when I was growing up in right. it. And uh, you know, uh, I I couldn't imagine, you know, the you know living in probably what like a apartment complex. Mm-hmm. You know, hundreds of people. They're in the same building, you know. Hundreds of families. Yeah, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. and just, uh, it's just it's 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 cool how we we come from different places. But you were taught the same things I I was. I was taught to work hard. I was mm-hmm. taught, um, you know, accountability, responsibility, mm-hmm. being being a part of the family, um, yes. having those chores and stuff around the house. Oh, yeah. So if you, those who did couldn't see it, he just big <laughs> big eye roll when I said chores. So, uh, but yeah, just uh, kind of grew up in that that same kind of uh, right. environment. So what, what led you to eventually um, join the military? What, what led you to that, that part of your life? Um, after I, I finished high school, um, I went straight to, to college. Um, and, but, but I was always working um, from my second year of high school. Uh, I remember the, 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 my first summer Um, In high school, um, I was going to uh, the Henry Street Settlement. That's a community center uh, down in uh, the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Very, you know, very um, has has a long history of of doing a lot of uh, community uh, work uh, and and development programs and things like that in in the city, but. I remember they had um, a program that I was going to be a part of that summer. So I was of age. I never had to go and get working papers, but because I was in, enrolled as you know in in, the, in that uh, community center, um, I was I was a shoe in for one of the jobs there. And so I never went through the traditional get your working papers from school, you know, get it signed by your parents, the guidance counselor, everything like that. Um, this was around the time when I forget exactly who was president at the time, but I remember this was a time when when funding for programs in the inner cities and other places, you know, I, I just know from my from my um my part um, for for what uh, really affected me, where a lot of the the monies that were going to, you know, fund those programs and things for the youth and everything like that, they 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 were non-existent anymore. They lost so many funds, and a lot of programs, um, you know, uh, went went belly up. And uh, so the program that I had already been promised a job, uh, they, they folded. 
And so that summer, I didn't have a job. And because I never went to get my working papers and everything like that, I couldn't get a, a, a uh, it was too late for me to get a job with the summer youth program and, you know, and other um, entities like that. I spent the entire summer everywhere I went, by every store that I passed by, going inside and asking if, you know, they were hiring. I hand typed because back then, you know, we didn't have the word processes and, and, and things like what well, people didn't even know what word processes are. They know computers. But mm-hmm. um, I had one of them little manual typewriters and I typed out a resume. <laughs> didn't have anything on it. But I just knew that those were the kind of things that you did. And I would try to get I went everywhere, everywhere I went looking for a job, but I I didn't get one. So after um, my first summer uh, in high school, um, summer was coming to an end, ran into a friend of mine from school. I lived down not too far from Wall Street because I was raised by my grandmother. By the time I was 13 years old, I moved out of my parents' house. It was overcrowded and, you know, just so much going on there in the home. But at my grandmother's house, she lived walking distance from Wall Street, from my living room in, in that in that um, in that uh, apartment that she had, I was able to look across at the Twin Towers, you know, um, uh, right downtown by um, police plaza, police headquarters, hmm. you know, downtown Manhattan. Uh, oh, oh, actually, right near the Brooklyn Bridge at the base of the Brooklyn Bridge on the Manhattan side. That's where um, I grew up my teenage years. I ran into a buddy of mine. He was coming out of the train station down on Chamber Street and, you know, someone from school. And, you know, hey, what are you doing around here? I live around here. He said, really, I work around here. Where do you work? He was a messenger. And um, he gave me the name of a person uh, who I can call and, and, and say, hey, tell him, tell him that I sent you, a guy by the name of Artie. Um, and I called Artie. And Artie told me to come report to the place, and I reported to a place up in Mid- Midtown Manhattan, and he hired me on the spot. So from my second year of high school all the way through high school, I worked at that one company. In the summertime, I would work full-time, but I would work part-time during um, during the school year. And uh, when we had holidays and things like that, or you know, winter recess and things like that, I would work and uh, I would earn my keep. But uh, I was stable there. They used to call me Charlie Three O'Clock Milton <laughs> because I got out of school at 2.45. And I didn't hang around with the rest of the guys. They were out talking to the girls or playing ball, playing basketball, joined the football team and all those kind of things. Me, I had to go and work and make some money. So I would get right on the train and I would head into work and I would always get there at three o'clock on the dot. They said, Charles, you, we, when the phone rings at three o'clock and if our watch says 302 and it's you on the phone, we know that it's three o'clock. We'll adjust our watch by you. So they called me Charlie three o'clock Milton. (laughs) But I said all that because um, by me having that job working down there on Wall Street, I began to see a different side of life other than the neighborhood where I came from. A lot of people didn't even know that there were um, projects, uh, that there were housing developments down in the Wall Street area. But yes, walking distance, 10 minutes away from, from Wall Street was where I lived. And this is a side that is off to the side. People come and go with the hustle and bustle of the city, but don't know that there's a whole world down there. But there's also people who live in that world down there that don't know that a few blocks down down the down, down the, the road, um, you you're at the financial what what was then I don't know about now was the financial capital of the world, mm-hmm. you know Wall Street. So I I grew up working around Wall Street. I grew up uh, making deliveries. Uh, in the Twin Towers, the highest um, floor that I went to was the 108th, no, the 109th floor. And from there, and you're looking out those, uh, what do they call those floor windows? They go from the floor to the ceiling. Those windows and those office buildings, and you look out there, and you can literally see the world (laughs) from there. All clear up to Westchester County. You, you could just gaze on a clear day, uh, you know. So 
but um, that helped shape me. It 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 showed me another side that I wanted. I wanted to. Um, I wanted to. I wanted to be in that world. I wanted to work in an office building, and. Um, Back then, a lot of uh, courier companies used to outsource workers to work in mail rooms and things of that nature. And I always used to ask, hey, I think this would be great for me. I love to work in the mail room in one of these office buildings. Maybe that's, I can get a foot in the door somewhere or something like that. And they used to say, Charlie, you know, you, know, you, you would be a perfect person to do something like that. You're very responsible, reliable, and all of these things. But that's full-time work, and you work part-time. But if you want to quit school, you know, and, you know, we'll, we'll give you that job. I, but I, I had enough sense not to want to do that. I, mm-hmm. Not a lot of sense in a lot of other things I may have done in life, you know, as an yeah. adolescent. A, a little bit more money right now. Right. It's not as important. It's no. a little bit, a lot more money later on. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. So that that never crossed my mind to, you know, drop out of school and, 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 and do that. But the desire to do something different, to do something better than what I saw every day around me, uh, the poverty, um, you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 the drug dealers and, and everything like that in the, in the city, the stick up kids, some of them were my friends. Um, I had, <laughs> had one friend, this guy, he said, I don't, um, I don't steal things. I confiscate them. <laughs> so you can't get, you know, you, you can't get, a, if, if you steal, you're a thief, you know, you can go to jail, but I, I didn't steal it. I just confiscated it, you know? So that was, that was his mindset. You know, I'm not a crook. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a thief. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I confiscate things. So, but, um, but that was, that was, that was my reality, um, at home. But, um, I had a whole different world when I left the block and I began to, you know, just see life in a different light. And I, I wanted to, I wanted to grow and I wanted to, to make it there. So I, I had that job all the way through high school. And in my first year of college, um, uh, just before I left high school, they had made me a dispatcher. And I was working the night shift uh, from two uh, two in the afternoon to 10 at night. As a high school student, I was a dispatcher. And then um, I would turn around and go to school in the morning. And I didn't know any better. Working full time, going to school full time, first 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 semester. <laughs> so I um, it, it was kicking it was kicking my behind. <laughs> mm-hmm. So one day I was uh, getting off off the train to go to class, and I saw a recruiting office. It was the National Guard, a National Guard recruitment center. And I read the sign outside. Oh, um, you know, you, you go away for training. You get some paid training and everything like that. And then you come back and you just go two weeks every summer. And I said, well, that, that, sounds, that sounds okay. <laughs> that sounds like something that I think I can do because it'll break up the monotony of this life that I'm living right now because I, I'm, I'm working. I'm going to school full time. I want to do something different. And I went and I sat down and I spoke with Sergeant Vorbeck. I remember that name because later on in life, I wanted to go back and get this guy. (laughs) (laughs) He sold me a bag of goods. But the truth is, it was good because um, I went, um, I joined the National Guards uh, in November of 1985. And um, I didn't go away to training right away. It was a delayed entry, you know, once I finished that semester and everything like that. I think it was July 1986 that I went down to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, <laughs> and to do basic training in my advanced um, individual training, um, AIT. And um, I didn't want to do, um, a lot of people wanted to go uh, MP, a lot of people wanted to go um, 11 Bravo, which is the infantry, uh, artillery, and all of these different things. Um, I said, I don't want to be airborne, I want to be chairborne. I said, I want a job 
uh, with the military, training with the military uh, was something that I could use when I got out the military. I know a lot of guys who were a military police but couldn't even get a job with NYPD mm-hmm. you know, when they got out. Yeah. Guys driving tanks and, you know, and things like that. But what are you going to do with that skill uh, back in civilian world? So I went into administration. Uh, that was um, that was the, the field that I had um, initially started with, and later it went to uh, the transportation corps, which uh, proved to be a, a great um, foundation for me in my my you know furthering my career. You know, once I got out of the military, but while I was there, I fell in love with military life. It was awesome. It was the first time that I ever flew a plane to go down to basic training. I was scared. <laughs> I was. I've never been on a plane before. Back then, I used to smoke cigarettes. I started smoking at um, at the age of thirteen. You know, when I was you know you know in high school, and um, back then you could smoke on planes. And you know how they give you that, that little half a cup of soda, mm-hmm. and uh, um, sometimes they may peanuts. give you some pretzel peanuts, or yeah. they used to give pretzels and stuff like that. But I remember um, back then they used to give you drinks. And I was on the plane and uh, people were smoking and everything like that. And I had a pack of cigarettes in my pocket, but I was afraid to smoke. Why? Because I was born, I was raised as a Christian and I knew that, um, you know, uh, that I wanted to go to heaven one day. And I said, what if this plane crashes and I got cigarette (laughs) smoke on my breath? God won't let me get in heaven. So I was afraid to smoke while I was up there. I was prayed up when I was in the sky. So I said, when I get down on the ground, I'll smoke a cigarette. But when I got down on the ground, I was in the airport. And then when I saw the drill instructor collecting people, you know, gathering everybody who had orders to, you know, to to go to the induction center, um, we, we had to sit in this little... Uh, section of the airport so there's still no smoking cigarettes and then when they finally loaded us on the um, on a on a bus to take us to the army base guys were in the back of the bus they were smoking cigarettes they were doing all kinds of things I said I don't want to get in trouble I'll just wait till we get to wherever we're going and then I'll be able to relax and (laughs) smoke a cigarette Mm -hmm. or something like that we got in there and they gave us this long speech and then they said we want you to we're going to let everyone go one at a time into this amnesty room and any contraband that you have you can put it inside that that garbage can in there we don't care if it's drugs, if it's a gun, if it's knives, if it's anything, you know, you you put it in there and you'll be, it, it, you, it's the amnesty room. You're okay. But if you get caught with any of that stuff after you come out of the amnesty room, you're going to have some trouble. So they said, if you have any cigarettes, put that in there too. I said, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, Sergeant, <laughs> I said, you mean to tell me we can't smoke cigarettes? He said, no, you, you can't smoke cigarettes. And I said, so we have to go in there right now and and, and give up our cigarettes? I, I haven't had a cigarette since I left New York. <laughs> I said, we have to go in there now? He said, yes. And you have to put in. I said, can I take a break and go outside smoke a cigarette and he said he laughed Mm -hmm. and everybody was laughing so I was I was the joker but I wasn't joking I said excuse me uh sergeant I'm serious he's laughed again and he said no you can't take you can't do that so from that moment I was cold turkey (laughs) for the next two months and didn't even know it. But um, that was funny to me. I I remember that day like it was yesterday, but I fell in love with the military. And then I was kicking myself for joining the National Guards and not going regular army. Mm -hmm. And... That was my whole plight while I was in Fort Jackson for four months, trying to um, transfer over to regular Army. But because I joined the National Guards, it was New York State Army National Guard. So I uh, I am obligated to the state of New York to do service. 
before I could transfer to the regular army, which is federal. So uh, they said there's, there's a six month obligation that once I finish my training, I have to go back to New York, um, give them six months obligation, and then I can go into any recruiter and they'll be more than happy to swear me in and, and allow me to go regular army. During that six month period, I found a dream job working in an office building for one of the, at that time, it was called the Big Eight Accounting Firms. It was a company called Ernst & Winnie. They later merged with another company. I think it was Young & Rubicam, and they became Ernst & Young, mm-hmm. the accounting firm. Mm-hmm. I was working in their uh, IT department and uh, so I was one of their uh, one of their computer technicians, you know, back in those days with the 40 megabyte, um, <laughs> 40 megabyte uh, 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 computers, workstations and the mainframes <laughs> that are bigger than this table <laughs> that we're sitting in this room. So um, that was a dream job. And when my recruiter called me and said, hey, you ready to go active duty? I'm like, I can't do that now. I'm over here in Rockefeller Center, right across from Radio City Music Hall, working up on the 14th floor in one of those uh, skyscraper buildings that went up, I think, to about the 50th floor. Mm-hmm. I said, I can't leave now. Uh, this is the start of my my corporate career. But I stayed with the National Guards and uh, continued on with them. I um, later um, was uh, selected to go to Officer Candidate School, and I went to... Uh, Empire State Military Academy for a year, and I started in 1987, and it was a year-long program, but in 1988, I was um, commissioned as a, for, as a second lieutenant in the uh, U.S. Army with federal recognition, and um, that, that just, um, that stuck with me for quite a while going back and forth to military schools and advancing in, um, you know, management training and military training. Um, and that's when I transitioned to working in the Transportation Corps because mm-hmm. I was inducted in the Transportation Corps. And um, and that was a foundational piece in my life, working with logistics supplies and transport operations and things like that. So, And that's what led to the, the, the career that I'm doing now, working in logistics. Okay. That background. What, when in in your life, growing up in the projects and in, in, in New York City, and when did you realize that maybe you were different than, say, somebody who grew up on, you know, the upper east side, the the, the upper east side, yeah. the upper west side. I know that job working um, working down on Wall Street. Or well, I wasn't just on Wall Street. I was all over the city, mm-hmm. and I went to places that I never would have seen had I not had that job. You know, going into buildings and office buildings and residential uh, uh, um, um, mega buildings and things like that um, that I never would have seen had I been not been uh, you know working for a job that allowed me to go places like that. And I saw how the other half lived. The difference, the difference um, that I can truly say was because of my Christian upbringing that um, I was not out there like that, you know, very respectful and, 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 and you know, um, courteous and, and things like that. So I was that one that was able to go places. I was that one that was able to do things and um carried and conducted myself in a way that I did not seem a threat when I was in a room full of white people um, because of my mannerism. I, I knew how to how to act, not in a, you know, a, a slave kind of way, mm-hmm. but I was comfortable in my skin because um you know, my education and um, academically and and also uh, just knowing how to sense of humor and, and, you know, and uh, I guess a certain amount of intellect where you can carry a conversation with someone and um, just people skills that I developed over the years uh, because of the, you know, the different uh, roads that I traveled. So, I, I saw what they had. 
um, and I saw things that I did not have, and um, I um, it, I wasn't angry about it. I, I understood um, the the different worlds. I remember going to deliver something up on Riverside Drive, up in up Upper Manhattan, which is kind of a you know a, a, a ritzy side of town. I've been plenty of ritzy sides of town, you know, growing up in New York City, you know. And um I had to deliver something to a school. It was a private school. And when I walked into the vestibule, the security you know, the security person or somebody, you know, met me up front and they told me where the main office was and I as I was walking down the corridor, it didn't look like the schools that I was in where, I mean, it's overcrowded and, um, you know, very, the, the resources, limited resources. Um, and I glanced in some of the classrooms and I saw computers all over the place. And I, I just saw just a whole different side, separate but certainly not equal, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I, I saw I saw the difference, and and I said I can see why um, you know uh, a certain segment of, of of the population. And I'm being nice. <laughs> I'm trying to be colorful in, in what I'm saying, but how a certain group of people live so differently, and. Um, I remember um, I was I was a little rascal in elementary school. I was in the principal's office so much my, my, with my mother. I guess people, when they walked by, they used to think she was the principal because she was in there so much. But I remember sitting, um, uh, there was something on the wall, hanging on the wall in the, in the principal's office. It was that poem, If. Um, if a child lived with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lived with um, ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lived with shame, he learns to feel guilty. So I remembered that poem. But it talks about, it says, children live what they learn. And it's no wonder that some people grow up so differently and, and, um, and, <laughs> can have and do certain things because they grow up in an environment that nurtures them to to aspire to things like that. Well, that's part of it because there is another side, you know, of it too. Mm-hmm. But um, the environment that I grew up in, you know, it, 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 was, it was a different side because it was the lack of resources, the lack of funds, the lack of, 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 of family, you know, uh, stable family structures. I was one of the, as a matter of fact, of all the young guys that I grew up with, I was the only one who had a dad in the house. Mm. He and I, we didn't get along. I was, he was my stepfather, but, um, but I was the only one that had that male presence in the house. And uh, it's, 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 you know, it's the butt of some jokes, you know, some comedians, they, they, they joke about that stuff. But when I look back, I can't think of one friend. I'm going to be 55 tomorrow and I'm looking back over my life and I can't think of one uh, person that I grew up with who had a father in the house other than myself Mm -hmm. and he was a piece of work the one that I had I used to think they were so lucky (laughs) (laughs) you know but um but but that that's the reality of things if there's no man in the house how do young men grow up to be men Mm mm-hmm you know, uh, you you can't be a man unless you see a man, and I didn't get that um, experience until later on in life when I had a pastor who I used to say was uh, like the father that I never had. Mm-hmm. I made amends with my my my. Um, I never met my my biological father, you know, but I made amends with my. Um, with my uh, stepfather before he died. So I didn't, I no longer disrespected his memory Mm -hmm. to say the father I never had. I had a father. We just didn't have a great relationship, but this pastor, he was that dad that um, helped prepare me for manhood, but I was already a man. I was 40 years old and still didn't understand, you know, what it was to be a man. And um, I learned it later in life. Mm-hmm. Here I am, going to be forty-five. To, I mean, fifty-five tomorrow. But 
this man came into my life when I was 40. That's 15 years of just, you, you see, the, the, the come from behind. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's still valuable. And um, I appreciate him to this day. He's still around, Pastor Banks, then. I call him Dad. Um, he was the type of person I could just sit down and I can talk about any and everything. Mm-hmm. But, it, it, but, but not having that in my earlier years, I knew there was something out there. There was something better. There was something more that I wanted. And when I saw what I saw that day and then I began to look around and so many other things, there was a yearning that I had. I just didn't know how to how to achieve it, how to, how to obtain it because it was non-existent around me. So, so I, I guess we'll just transition to that part of, of our discussion. Um, I, I grew up in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mom and dad took us to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, mm-hmm. Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, they put me in Christian school. Uh, I did that for, for years. Um, but it really wasn't until my, my high school years until, uh, you know, I, I was at the altar through as a kid every Sunday. But it was not until uh, late high school going towards college that I really finally realized that um, I, I, I finally understood the, the love of Christ and, the, you know, and the love of God and not just trying not to go to hell you know which was which was the way I, I mean literally like every night I was praying Lord please forgive me of every sin I did, did today and because I you know I was so afraid of going to hell and every time the altar was open boom I was there I, I mean you could count if the altar if there was an altar call you know at my <laughs> church Roger was there and uh, so you know so at some point I had what I call the the burning bush moment, you know, where, where Moses had that, you know, he, mm-hmm. he, God was a part of his life, but it wasn't until that burning bush until he really grasped who God was. When when was when you had that relationship with that pastor? Is that when was that your moment? When was your moment where you God became real to you? I later called it the Damascus experience, you know, because Paul. Mm-hmm. The Apostle Paul knew of God, you know, because he was, you know, part of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee and, and uh, uh, very educated in, 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 in scripture and in theology and all, all the things by Gamaliel. And, and um, you know, so so but but that personal that personal, you know, connection, it started at the age of 16. Mm-hmm. It started at the age of 16 because I grew up in the church. I was in the choir. I was a drummer in the church. And, you know, just the, the whole thing, you know, so, you know, the, the, just the whole church life, you know, going going to church during the weekdays and everything. My friends, I'm walking down the street with my little shirt and tie on and they got sneakers and, and shorts and they're going to play basketball. And, and they're like, hey, man, we want to play ball. I'm like, yeah, I got to, my mom, I got to go to church. Church? <laughs> so I was the church boy, but I was cool though but I was a church boy so um um so you know just 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 that but see back then when I was when I was younger there were no men in the church there were no men in the church I don't know in your neighborhood you know maybe you know but in in the hood there were no men in the church there were old men in the church and there were a lot of either single mothers or mothers who maybe they had somebody at home, but those people, didn't, those men didn't come to church. Mm-hmm. So the, it was a lot of mothers with a bunch of kids. It was old women and it was old men, but there were no men in the church. And I grew up in that. You know, my grandfather was a, uh, a pastor, um, Mount Olive uh, Baptist Church up in Harlem, <laughs> Harlem, New York. And um, so we grew up in, in, in church life and everything like that. But I, so I knew that there was a God, but I never experienced them. Never really, you know, you get on your knees and you say your your your, your prayers, you say mm-hmm. your grace, you know, that kind of thing. But never really, never that connection. And one night at the age of 16, because um, once I got to that age where I'm looking around and I'm not a child anymore, because at the age of 13, I left my parents' house, and now I'm at my grandmother's house, and I had more freedom 
You know, she was an elderly woman. All she said was, you got to go to school and get an education. Okay, yeah, I'm in school, and I'm working down on Wall Street and, you know, uptown Manhattan, and I'm, I'm making, you know, for, for me some nice money. I was able to clothe myself and just have money to, and access to do things that I wanted to do. And I didn't have the um, that 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 uh, pressure over me to to go to church. I went to church, you know, but um, after a while, that phased out, that fizzled out because mm-hmm. there was nothing keeping me there. There was no guidance that I needed, mm-hmm. you know, with the male presence, except for the preacher. But. Um, so I remember, um, you know, I, hey, after a while, I stopped going. I didn't have, I, I was out doing what I wanted, drinking beer with the fellas. And, and you know, like I said, I'm, you know, growing up in the hood, um, not all the way out there, but still, you know, your foot out, you know, out, outside, you know, out in, in the street. Um, like I told you, I, I used to be a, a rapper <laughs> back in the days. And that and that's part of the culture, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the 40 ounces and, you know, and, and, and you know the cigarettes and the, the weed and all of that kind of stuff. That was that was that was just part of it. We weren't stick up kids. We weren't bad, bad you know out there uh, you know robbing, and stealing, or anything like that. Like some of the other guys were. We were up in somebody's house with some turntables and some microphones and and playing music. That's what that's what I did. The Run DMC days. <laughs> Sugar Hill gang. <laughs> well, Sugar Hill, yeah, because yeah. Run DMC came a little later because I'm yeah. I'm the class of '84. So you know, but I, I started rapping back in 79 so run dmc and them they were they were young themselves but um so i was that that generation just before them but when they started making it big we were like how are these guys you know they don't even sound good <laughs> but, but they had the right music they had the right connection so uh but we used to you know we said man if they can do that we can do it too but you got to have connections and things like that so anyway Getting, getting caught up with that. Uh, I remember one night it was on my birthday. Hey, so it was <laughs> few ye- quite a few years, uh, decades from from tomorrow. It was on my birthday. I was out with some of the fellas and we were, um, you know, we were, we were out there drinking our beer and doing our thing. And, and um, it was time for me to go home. I lived a, a little ways from them because I was no longer down uh, in that part of, of the neighborhood. I was, um, you know, a few avenues over uh, across the way. And so they started walking me part of the way home. That was the, the tradition that they would do, walk me part of the way, and then I'd go the rest of the way myself. And as 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 uh, we got to that turnoff point where they turn back and go back towards their towards their um, their projects, I lived in different projects now. Um, I was walking the rest of the way alone, and something you know, I, I looked at them and I, I said, you know, these guys aren't my friends. I said it audibly. I'm walking up the street. It's nighttime. You know, I must I don't know ten o'clock at night or something like that. I said they're not my friends. And then all of a sudden, I kept repeating that. Some, it's like something grabbed a hold of me and said, and I kept saying, "They're not my friends. They're not my friends. They're not my friends." Like something trying to um, to drill that in me that they're not my friends because you know, uh, real friends. You know, would you know would would encourage you to do things differently, uh, a certain way, <laughs> and uh, not to get involved in the things that I was doing, heading the direction that I was heading. Mm-hmm. Those, those are not my friends. That's what I. That's what I realized. But but that feeling that I got over me, I knew that it was God talking to me. Letting me know that the path that I was going down, that I was, you know, headed towards, was not uh, a place that 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 um, that I should go. And I remember going up to my grandmother. She's one of them. She's she's one of the mothers of the church. You know, praying with the, grandmother, praying grandmother with the hat, with the you know, with the flowers in it, the big hats. That <laughs> she's a hat lady, a Mad Hatter from Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Let me stop. Uh, and um, I went up in the house, and I, I just. I just had a, a praise in my heart that I, 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 I knew that I had a, an encounter with God at that moment. And 
I went and I spoke to my grandmother and I was telling her about it and she was just smiling. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. Um, you know, I was one of the cool guys with the with the hat to the side, the leather jacket, you know, that 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 kind of hmm. that kind of guy. You know, I had that image of the street, but I really wasn't street, but I had the image of it. Um and I remember in the church, they had a lot of what I call tambourine players. That's those guys that, you know, they, you know, they, they and they look sissified. Mm-hmm. And I asked my grandmother, because I was kind of hard, you know, I said, Grandma, I said, um, you know, that, you know, that if I get saved, if I give my life to 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 God to Christ am I going to turn out like those guys right there <laughs> my grandmother started laughing and she said no but I was serious yes yeah, you were trying to find your place you didn't absolutely you didn't want that place I did but you not, wanted a place I wanted a place and yeah. and and I knew that, you know I I I I I finally felt a uh, 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 the presence of God but I said, but I see a lot of this in the church. And, and you know, they play the tambourine and they sing on the choir and they look flashy and flamboyant. And I said, that is not what I want to be. That's not me. So if I give my heart to God, am I going to turn out like that? Mm-hmm. And I was dead serious. Yeah. And she told me, no, that, that wasn't going to happen. And it didn't happen. I, I just have that image of that uh, Arsenio Hall character in Coming to America. <laughs> you know. Yes, there's a God. Yes, a God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. But, but that's not what I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be real. So, but, this, but, but my prayer was at that time, because I got, I, I gave my heart to the Lord at, at the age of 16. I mean, for real, I was serious about this. And all of the friends that I had, I didn't associate with them anymore. I didn't do the things that they were doing anymore. And I made that 180 degree turn around and now instead of me running the streets you know and 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 and, and going to the parties and and all of that stuff now i find myself going to bible study and can't wait to get there and and things like that so so that that right there really impacted me it didn't last because i did not I, my prayer was you know, I can't go back to my mother's church. There no where my grandmother go, my mother go because there are no men there. So, Lord, please send me to show me, lead me to a church where where there are young people my age and older that I could fit in, that I could, you know, because back then when I used to say when you come to the church, they give you these big old books. I'm not moving far away from the mic. Of don't do that. Mm-hmm. What you can't do. What you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. And I'm young. I'm 16 years old. You can be saved and you can go bowling. Yeah. Back then, my grandmother. Oh, you 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 going bowling on a on a on a Saturday night? You supposed to be home getting ready for church tomorrow to go to Sunday school. <laughs> You could go roller skating, you know, we could do these things. But that was a challenge back then. And what they do is they chase young people right outside the church because they don't have anything in place. They, they, they No creativity, yeah. nothing in place to keep them there. A, a, a large volumes of books of what you can't do, but can never tell you what you can do mm-hmm. because we're young. We have energy. We're growing. We're learning. We need to experience. And so it got smothered the, out the of the Pharisees of the day. Yeah. <laughs> they knew the law. Yeah. 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 In, in, that, in that regard, mm-hmm. you know, they meant well. But my grandmother, she was born in 1926. Yeah. You know, living in South Carolina, you know. So now she's in the city. She just knows the city is bad. You know, the streets are bad and, and everything like that. But I'm here. What do I do? Where do I go? So that was a that was a challenge. And from 16 up until the age of 40, my life was the largest roller coaster 
on the planet. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The largest roller coaster because I was in and out, in and out because I could not find my place where I needed to be. Hello? Okay. I couldn't find my place. Yeah. And, and that's what I, it was, it was a journey. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I'm glad the conversation steered a lot different than, than I had planned, but I'm glad for that because I've, I've really enjoyed this. Um, I guess one thing before, before we close out, kind of, kind of share how, and I, I'm, I don't want to assume, but how your faith has helped you deal with, um, the racial issues that we, we deal with in our country, how, how that's, and I, again, I'm just assuming, but no, what little bit I know about you, um, you know, it, it's easy for people to allow the things that have happened to turn into hate and bitterness and anger. How have you been able, how has your faith been able to help you not to go down that road? Because I know God is greater than that. <laughs> One of the questions that um, you had um, um, that I, I saw that um, you you wanted to an answer about was um, uh, what hurdles? No, was it not the hurdles? An experience mm -hmm. when someone uh, dropped the N word on me and 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 I couldn't respond the way I wanted to. Yeah, I grew up in New York City and. Racism was not the same in the city as it was in the South. In the South, you knew your place. Back of the bus. There wasn't no back of the bus in, in New York back in the 50s and 60s. We rode the bus and, you know, the, you know, there were no different water fountains. You know, the Jim, it was Jim Crow South. Yeah. I mean, there was still racism up in the North and everything like that, it, but, but it was poised a different way. Yeah. But it was still racism. Yeah. So I didn't grow up in that down there. See, in, in, in New York, where I came from, White boys did not mess with, you know, guys yeah. from the hood because, you know, we 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 will duke it out. You know, it, it's not like that. It was not like down here where you, you know, with the clan and, mm -hmm. and, and all the, you know, just you, you just didn't. You yeah. know, it was a different way of living. Well, I think I think part of that is because growing up down here, African-Americans were the minority. Mm hmm. Up there, in New York City. Yeah, you guys weren't right. the, the minority. You right. know, so right. you know. So I think that's our money was minority. Exactly. But, <laughs> yes. but the know. numbers. Yeah, yeah. But the numbers, right? Yeah. So, but so so so, um, no one ever called me nigger before or anything like that. Yeah. The first time that I got called nigger, I had just graduated from basic training I was in excited. Fort Jackson, South Carolina. I was on the base for the, a whole two months going through my training and everything like that. But on graduation day, my girlfriend came down. She flew down and she she was down for the weekend and everything. And I had an off post pass and um, I was able to stay the night out and everything. We had a nice little hotel and and um, we went we were going across to a restaurant. It was this, I don't know what I don't know if it was Red Lobster or something like that. We went someplace. But um, I ran across the street to get something and she was inside. I was in uniform, looking, standing tall, and I graduated with honors, you know, from from you know from my my training, and a, a van pulled up on the side of the road, and they they opened up the side doors, and it was a, a handful of white boys in there. I don't know. I don't even remember how many. And they just said, nigga. And then they closed the door and they sped off. And I said, what? <laughs> This is this is not 1886 in yeah. South Carolina in Columbia, yeah. Columbia, South Carolina. This is 1986. Yeah. In 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 South Carolina, I'm thinking that's old stuff that I used to read about in Martin Luther King days. You know, uh, you know, uh, you know, ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. That yeah. kind of thing. But this is my first experience outside the base 
my first day um, without a drill sergeant yelling at me and telling me what to do. I'm in uniform, one of the proudest days of my life, and a van pull up on the side of the road and they yell out nigger and then they sped off. And I said, well, that made you feel good? It didn't make me feel bad. I, I pitied them mm-hmm. that their world was so small. Yeah. See, because where I come from, you don't you don't violate people's space unless you unless you really mean you know mm-hmm. to, you know unless you're bringing something with it. Other than that, people keep their space. You know we you know we don't have much, but what I do have is my space. Respect my space, and I respect your space. That's how you grow up in the hood. It, it's about spaces and knowing how to move through spaces. So down here, I'm looking at these guys, and I'm like, are you serious? That your mind is so small. That's that's the way it rationalized in my mind. That you that you're so small. That's like saying nana nana nana. We're grown men. Give me a break. Mm-hmm. So I dismissed it, but I remembered that day that because that was the first time, and I think the only time that I was ever called nigger because I never carried myself like a nigger. Mm-hmm. But um, or, or, or what their their um, stigma stigma yeah. or you know or, or, or definition of what yeah. they say a nigger is. We say a nigger is a person who you got white niggers, you got black niggers, you got <laughs> Spanish niggers. If you are somebody who are act or who are not trying to build, not trying to grow, not trying to develop, you know, it, you know, that's 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 a, a characteristic of a person, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not the definition, you know, it's not the the um the essence of a person, you know, that the, the way it's used in when they say that inward mm-hmm. kind of thing. So so I remember that day. That was the first the first and only time that I, someone ever called me. And it wasn't even to my face, but it was directed at me. Mm-hmm. And um and um, but I, I was above it. I was above it, and 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 that was the thing. Uh, you know, I, I never really faced it like that. But you can be in settings where you know you're not. You know, uh, financially you're not on the same level as others. Academically, you may not be on the same level or with others. But um, with the the um, privileges and the benefits and things that I've I've had in my life, I, I was in the room. I was in the room. I was that person. Um, I remember working for a company one time, and um, you know, I'm from the I'm from the projects, but I don't. But the projects is not in me. I'm you know I don't carry the projects with me everywhere I go. So I can be in a conversation. I can be in a room and be in a conversation, and 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 be able to converse with people and and just they forget the 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 the, the part about the color of my skin. And I remember someone saying to me one day, um, you know, but you're 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 one of the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I was one of the good ones. <laughs> That's the way it was. Mm-hmm. You're not like those other people, but those other people are people that I grew up with. I understand. Them. One lady asked me one time. She said, um, "You live over there in in the projects and everything like that." She was a white a white woman, Jewish woman. She said, "Aren't you afraid to go outside at night? Aren't you afraid?" I said, "If I was afraid." to be in that environment I should I I can't leave the house so no I'm not afraid because I'm not of that element and that element knows who's of that element when you're there that's one of the things that well you know people who are not from there and cultures that are not from there don't understand is they know who's out there doing what who's up to no good and everything like that who to mess with and who not to mess with Mm -hmm. and if you're law-abiding a family person and everything like that they give you that respect and 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 in a lot of ways they admire you for what you're doing they may not be doing that in their life but they see you the drug dealers will stop i'm coming in the building with my children at night um you know coming from someplace they'll stop selling their drugs they'll stop doing whatever they're doing to show respect for a, 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 a man and a woman that's coming in with their little babies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they show that respect because they know he's not like that. And they'll protect you. They'll protect you and make sure people know don't don't mess with them. They're good people. Hmm. That's definitely a different perspective. One of the things I was thinking about was uh, 
you know, you kind of referenced the, the different part of it. And from my perspective, and one of the things that, especially as I got older and I would be around people who were older than me, my parents, my grandparents, and they would talk about, you know, when topics of racism and stuff would come up and uh, they would talk about, well, I have, I have, I have friends who are black or I, you know, I work with people, but when, when they would reference people, if they said, you know, my friend Joe over here, you knew that was a white guy. But if they said my black friend, Mike, they always would throw in, they would have to say that like, you know, uh, and and that was my thing, like with my I, with my parents. One time we got into this, and I'm like, why why do you have to throw that label in there? Because he's your friend, whether he's white or black or Hispanic or whatever. Why? And it, and again, I, I just kept having to remember. It was the way, you know, they, my parents were were brought up. I remember as a kid being over here on the west side of Charlotte. We grew up in a it was a white neighborhood, uh, pretty secluded. Um, I was probably late uh late junior high early high school days had some friends over for a sleepover and a few of my friends were were black and uh we were out playing uh football in the front yard and running up and down the the street together and some of the older ladies in the neighborhood called my my grandmother do do, do you know those black boys out there with with roger you know because they were just weren't used to having them around you know and Again, for me, you know, that was that was different for and that was different for my grandparents. And they never taught me racist mindset kind of things. But Mm -hmm. but still, you know, with each generation, you know, my you know, my 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 grandparents, you know, in their own way were were racist. My parents were less, you know, Mm -hmm. and and thankfully it's it's progressed through that time. Um but my cousin, who is a few years older than me, uh, he ended up um, marrying an African, I mean, a black woman. And uh, and I remember when he showed up at the door and it's like, you know, this is my wife, Angie. And I was like, oh, this is going to be <laughs> this fun. Be good. <laughs> <laughs> the, the family has, has become integrated. And, uh, and, and my grandmother, who raised him and loved him, said she didn't agree with that, but she loved his wife and those those grandkids great grandkids are hers like just like they were anybody else and but again it was you know she was taught that that was that was that was different you didn't do that and i'm glad some things have changed and there's still a long way to go in our in our society but i'm glad that the two of us could sit down and we could talk about things like this and and have these kind of discussions and share about our past and how they're different where they came from and uh i'm just uh i've you know through our uh our careers we've we've intersected and and now become I, i'm i'm going to say friends and uh i just uh, i look forward to, to more discussions like this but i'm so i'm so thankful that you came on today uh to talk you about your, your your life and and uh i'm just i'm so blessed for it and uh charles it's just it's just been um great having you here thank you thank you roger it's, it's really been a pleasure being here i didn't know what to really expect you know how the dialogue was going to go but um i i would definitely be open to uh more discussions oh, um, definitely. And, and 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 try to stay on script i guess <laughs> no you're fine you was great and, uh, and this was actually supposed to be kind of a, a forum with uh, with another friend of mine and who's not be able to come out tonight mm-hmm. and we, we, we may do that at a different time because i think the perspective of you, you two sharing with each other common experiences but he grew up here mm-hmm. you grew up in new york city so the perspectives are different he can tell kind of one of his stories is you know being stopped one time with a, a car full of of white girls and being put, he's still alive yes massa gonna get him yeah. <laughs> put down on his knees with a gun to the back of his head mm. and until they could prove that he, mm. he wasn't endangering them you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh totally different you know perspectives on on racism and things that you, you your culture and your, your things mm-hmm. you've dealt with but uh we'll, we'll definitely do that another time but yes. charles thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me right it was a pleasure